I'd invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 16. And also while you're turning there, I'd ask you to bookmark 2 Samuel 7. Uh, We'll be turning there in just a moment. There's something I want you to see. Well, we finally made it through 1 Samuel 15. And today marks uh, an exciting new chapter. Uh, We're finally getting to meet uh, the young man by the name of David. The warrior, prophet, poet who will be the greatest king of Israel in the entire Old Testament. uh, And whose name will remain uh, just as important in the New Testament with the incarnation and ascension of the Lord Jesus, who is great David's greater son. Uh, Today my focus is going to be on words that are probably familiar to you. Uh, Words found in verse 7, I'm sure you've heard before. That the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I want to go ahead and warn you. I don't... I'm confident, well, I'm somewhat confident you aren't going to get what you're expecting. If you hear those words, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If you hear those and begin thinking, well, I'm not all that great to look at, but I got a good heart. You're going to be disappointed. Conversely, if you hear those words and like what you see in the mirror and you think your heart is just as lovely, you're also going to be disappointed. This passage could easily be hijacked and made all about ourselves, who I am on the outside, who I am on the inside, how God sees me. And that's not going to be my focus today. Because I'm convinced that it's not the point of the passage. What I want to do is not show you how God rightly sees you, but how you are to rightly see God. Remember who the Bible is about. It's not about you. It's Not about me. It is about the self-revelation. Well, it is the self-revelation of our creator, our covenant-keeping God, and his plan to rescue a people and restore the world through the work of his son. So if you leave this place with your eyes directed away from yourself and at Christ with hearts thankful to God, then I have done my job. So let's pray and then read these uh, verses together. Almighty God, we come to you remembering your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. We come to you and ask as your son asked, that we might be sanctified in the truth, that your word is truth. Almighty God, we come to you remembering that You have given these narratives to us so that your church might be taught and instructed. 
Lord, we remember that the only infallible things that will happen in this service is when your word is read and faith comes by hearing. So would you speak to us today through the reading and preaching of your word? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I decided uh, in my sermon prep just to end at verse 12. So earlier in the week I was thinking verse 13. I wound up just making it to verse 12. So uh, you can follow along with me as I read Second Samuel 16, verses 1 through 12. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready And had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. The grass withers and the flowers fade. 
but the word of our God stands forever. So our chapter begins with King Saul, well, with Samuel grieving over King Saul. Samuel is grieving because, as we saw in the previous chapter, Saul failed to listen to the voice of the Lord and has been rejected as king of Israel. Now, this removal from office does not take place immediately. It actually won't happen until his death in chapter 31. He'll remain in sort of a, he'll remain as a sort of lame duck king until his successor reaches the age and ability to take his throne. But it's this rejection that grieves Samuel. You can see how they're interacting at the end of chapter 15 and, and see that there is some affection there between them. I mean, surely this old prophet had some affection for Saul and is sad at this rejection. Surely Samuel is concerned about the future of the nation. The king is rejected. What's going to happen to the people? What's going to happen to the covenant? What's going to happen to the promises? Well, he'll get his answer pretty soon. The Lord tells Samuel to get up and go. There's another king to anoint. One who will fulfill my purposes. Samuel is reminded here that the Lord has not forgotten his promises to the patriarchs. The Lord's plan has not fallen apart along with Saul's kingship. There's a man named Jesse in Bethlehem. Go, because one of his boys is the king that I've provided for myself. Look at that line the Lord speaks at the end of verse 1. For I have provided for myself a king. That word provided is the Hebrew ra'ah. You know what that means? To see. To see. And this is going to be important in just a bit. The Lord has seen for himself a king among the sons of Jesse. Samuel can't see anything. He's grieved. He's upset. And then once Samuel gets to Bethlehem, he still can't see what the Lord's doing. He... He misses it, but our God sees. And then we see a couple of names here that should clue us in that something big is happening. What about the name Jesse? Who is he? Well, he is the grandson of a couple named Boaz and Ruth. Remember them? The book of Ruth, this is their grandson. And then what about Bethlehem? You know, as as those who have read the Gospels, that's a name that should jump off the page at us. That's the place where the virgin will give birth to a baby boy and name him Jesus. You and I should be clued in by the mention of Ruth's grandson and the little town of Bethlehem that something big is happening. And Samuel can't see it, but God can Samuel then shares a serious concern he has. Lord, how can I do that? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. 
He's already in a bad way after everything that happened with the Amalekites and you rejecting him and all. If he hears that I've gone to anoint someone else king, he will have my head. Look what the Lord does. He doesn't chastise Samuel. He doesn't wag his finger and say, you unbelieving prophet. He accommodates Samuel. Just as he had accommodated Moses. You remember, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Oh, Lord, I'm not, I'm not good with public speaking. Well, take your brother, Aaron. He can speak for you. You remember the Lord accommodating Gideon. Lord, I can't be the deliverer of your people. Tell you what, we'll do a test. I'll take this wool fleece and I'll lay it out on the ground. And in the morning, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll do what you want. Okay. Fleece wet, ground dry. Oh, wait, Lord, one more test. Let's just try this again, just to make sure. This time, let's make the fleece bone dry and the ground all around it sopping wet. If that happens, I'll do what you want. Okay? Fleece bone dry, ground sopping wet. The Lord shows a similar patience and kindness here to Samuel. Lord, Saul can't know about this or else he'll kill me. All right. Just take a young female cow. Say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. We can keep this on a need-to-know basis. And for the time being, Saul and the elders of Israel, or the elders of Bethlehem, and Jesse, all they need to know is that you've come to sacrifice to me. And so Samuel goes. What happens when he arrives in Bethlehem? The elders of the city are terrified. You see, they ask, do you come peaceably? I mean, maybe they'd heard what Samuel did to Agag. And they're worried that one of them might be next. Maybe they're in sin and they fear the presence of the Lord's prophet. And to quote Tolkien, the treacherous are ever distrustful. Maybe that's the issue. You know, it's, it's revealing when a, a pastor shows up and people get nervous and start acting funny. But Samuel reassures them, saying he'd only come to sacrifice a heifer to the Lord, and he invites Jesse and his boys. Now, it seems at some point, Jet. Jesse is let in. He's, he's told why Samuel is there. Because Samuel starts looking around and he sees this kid who is just impressive. His name's Eliab. And Samuel's like, this is the guy. This has got to be Saul's replacement. This is someone the people would be excited about. But the Lord speaks to him and says, This isn't him. Now we'll come back to verse 7 in a moment. Jesse then introduces another son named Abinadab. What's the Lord's answer? No. 
Not him. Next is Shammah. What's the answer? Again, no, not him. And this happens with all of Jesse's sons. No, 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 no. Now, what's Jesse thinking? We aren't told. It's my conjecture. Maybe he thought, you know, Samuel, old man, are you, are you confused? Are you overheated? Are you worn out from, from the walk from Ramah to Bethlehem? You need to sit down? Because you were talking about the Lord providing a king from one of my boys, but you've said no to all of them. Samuel is equally confused, I'm sure, but then has a moment of clarity and says, are all your boys here? And then we get the answer. Well, there is one more. My youngest, but you wouldn't be interested in him. He's out in the fields watching over the sheep probably best for him. So we just left him there. And Samuel says, go get him. We won't be eating until your youngest has arrived. And so Jesse sends for the youngster and we learn in verse 13, his name is David. All right, I want to stop here and focus on verse 7. And I need to give credit where credit is I listened to a pastor preach this week, and he leaned heavily on an Australian commentator named John Woodhouse. And Woodhouse uh, gets full credit for where I'm going. Back in verse 6, Samuel sees the first son and says, surely this is the guy. But then what's the Lord say in verse 7? Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now I want you to think with me. How are those words commonly understood? I mean, wouldn't it be something like, well, it's not what's on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside. That matters. Meaning you can be a woman who meets all of today's standards of beauty. But what's most important is what's on the inside. Right? There might be some people who take solace in this common understanding and think, well, I may not be the prettiest, but I've got depth. I've got a great personality. I've got a good heart. Well, I was thinking about us guys, and I thought of the words that William Wallace's father told him in the movie Braveheart. I'm not even going to try to do the Scottish accent. I know you can fight, but it's our wits that make us men. It's what's on the inside That counts. I may not look impressive, but I'm not superficial. I think that's the common take here. And it is true that you and I place way too much value on external appearance. We do it all the time. We judge books by their cover in our materialistic, superficial, designer clothing, plastic surgery, social media filter culture. 
We care far too much about what we look like and what other people look like. That is absolutely true. But I think that's a secondary application. I don't think it's the main point of the passage. Well, what is the point? Well, first we see that your appearance neither qualifies nor disqualifies you. I mean, we can't say that the homely people are used by God and the beautiful people aren't. We can't say that because look at how the Bible describes David. Verse 12, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. He is the heartthrob of all the young girls in Bethlehem. He had great skin, beautiful eyes, and a handsome face. And some of you may read that and think, ugh, some people just have it all. They're good-looking and a great heart. Here's the initial point. Your appearance neither qualifies nor disqualifies you from serving the Lord. You can be tall or short, thin or pudgy, blonde, brunette, redheaded, bald. You can have a face for TV or a face for the radio. It doesn't matter. God can use you in a particular way to accomplish his purposes. He used Leah with her weak eyes. And he used beautiful Rachel. Both were mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Both were fearfully and wonderfully made. Both were used by God. Your appearance does not qualify or eliminate you from serving Christ's kingdom. Here's another problem with this common understanding. And it's the truth about our hearts. I mean, someone may say, well, I'm not as good looking as so-and-so, but at least I have a good heart. Really? You've got a good heart? You're confident about the Lord seeing your motives and your loves and the core of who you are and judging you on that basis? You think that's going to go well? I want no part of that. Do you remember what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That was the words of the prophet. Here are the words of The Lord Jesus, spoken in Matthew 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Too often, folks will read this passage and they'll conclude, well, you know, God must have looked at the hearts of the brothers and they had bad hearts. And then he looked at the heart of David and he saw that David had a good heart, a clean heart, a godly heart. And so that's why God chose David. And again, ask, really? King David perpetrates one of the most notorious sins in all of Scripture. How could he have done such things if the Lord chose him because his heart was pure and godly? Right? Have have you thought about that? 
if it's true that it's all about the heart and who he is on the inside, if that's what makes him stand out, then how in the world do we make sense of the heartbreaking wicked actions done to Bathsheba and Uriah? Well, we've now come to it. We've come to what I think is the proper understanding and the point of the passage. And again, all credit to Dr. John Woodhouse. In verse 7 we read, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Whose heart? We read this and we think, well, David's heart. His brother's hearts. Our hearts. Is that right? I think we've got this backwards. The heart in view is the Lord's heart. He's not talking about David's heart, his brother's heart. He's speaking of the Lord's heart. Here, I'm going to defend my case. You can flip back a couple pages to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. Remember, this is the chapter. Saul could not wait for Samuel any longer. His men were deserting him. His enemy was closing in. And so he offers the sacrifice in Samuel's place. Samuel shows up, catches him red-handed, says, What have you done? And then look at verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Right? The Lord has sought someone out after his heart. Right? He will seek another to rule in place of Saul. And we see that Samuel was speaking of God's heart. Okay, maybe you aren't convinced. Well, flip ahead to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, verse 21. This section is titled, David's Prayer of Gratitude. You know, we talked about this during the, the Christmas season. David wants to build the Lord a house. But the Lord says, I'm going to build you a house. And then he makes promises. He promises David, I will make your name great. I will plant my people in the land. I will give them rest from their enemies. I will raise up a dynasty after you that will endure forever. All of that is promised. And David is processing these glorious promises. And look at what he says. He is praying to the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 21. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you brought about all this greatness. Why does the Lord promise to make David's name great and to give the people rest and to plant them in the land and to establish a dynasty that will endure forever? Is it because of David's heart? No. David says it is because of your promise and according to your own heart that you brought about all this greatness. See, in both 1 Samuel 13 and in 2 Samuel 7, it is the Lord's heart that is spoken of here. And if we adopt that and apply it to 1 Samuel 16, 7, what would that do? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Our sight, 
Our understanding is limited by what we can see right in front of us. Samuel sees this first young man and thinks, oh, this is it. Look at him. Look how impressive he is. Look how tall, how handsome. This is someone the people would be excited about. But we've already gone down this road with Saul. There was no one taller. There was no one more handsome than Saul. But that didn't end well. The plan that seemed best from the human point of view failed miserably. But the Lord does not see as man sees. He has a plan and a purpose that began before time. One that originates from within himself. We read in Isaiah 46, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the beginning, the end from the beginning, from ancient times the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. You see, man can only see the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, on his heart. He can see from ancient times the things not yet done. Samuel looks and sees a physically impressive son. But God sees the shepherd boy out in the field from the middle of nowhere and says, that's him. My purpose goes through him. From his line will come a greater shepherd. The good shepherd, born in the same sleepy town, and he will tend my sheep and guide them through the valley of the shadow of death and defend them with his rod and his staff and bring all of them unto me where they will dwell in my house forever. That's what's in the heart of God Almighty. That's what he sees. So why choose David and not one of his brothers if it's not based on the goodness of their hearts? Because it pleased him. It pleased God. It wasn't that David's heart was godly and his brother's hearts weren't. It was because in the heart of God, in his most wise and holy counsel, he willed that David shepherd his people. And I shouldn't be telling you anything new here. Remember everything else we're told in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 7, Israel is described as a people, holy, set apart of the Lord. Why was that? Was it because of their purity? Their godly hearts? Their good behavior? You know the answer. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That's why God chose Israel. 
That's why he made them his treasured possession. Not because there was something attractive or appealing about them. He chose them because he loved them. And he was keeping his promise to Abraham. You know, that's, that's something straight out of the heart of God. I had in my notes the examples of Jacob and Esau. Why did God choose the lying, cheating younger brother over the hairy, hungry, older brother? Why did the Lord Jesus choose his disciples? Why did he choose the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1, he says, after he calls himself the foremost of sinners, he says, I received mercy so that in me, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who will believe in him. You know, maybe you're asking, why is this important? Why is it important? Whose heart is in view in verse 7? John, I don't know if I'm tracking with you. Why is it good news that the Lord provided and saw this new king according to his own heart? Well, if we take verse 7, the ordinary, commonly understood way. Man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. It's not who you are on the outside, it's who you are on the inside that matters. If that's what I tell you, do you know what you're likely to think? It, if you leave this place thinking, meditating on the sermon at all, if you leave this place and that's what I tell you, I imagine that most of you would leave here and become very introspective. Instead of looking out and up to the risen, victorious, reigning Christ, you're now looking inward at yourself. You're aware of the true condition of your heart, and you think, there's no way I'm qualified. God would never choose me. If he's going to look at the condition of my heart, if that's what matters, then I'm going to hear the same words that were said about David's brothers. No, I have rejected you because I've seen your heart. I mean, I can see our minds going there and our minds becoming consumed with that. And then we just start trying harder and pursuing self-improvement, trying to make ourselves more presentable so that maybe one day the Lord would look within you and see who you really are and say, well done, I accept you. That is a scary, frustrating road to walk. And you might echo the elders of Israel and say, do you come peaceably? Because I'm still cleaning up in here. But what if we read this differently? What if we read this as God's heart, not David's heart, not his brother's heart, not your heart? What's the result? We find comfort, humility, and security. Because it's not based on us. It's based on our God. He was working in David's day. And he continues to work in our day. 
to bring to fruition his great plan of redemption that he has seen from ancient times. And he loves to use those men and women who are least likely. When he does, all boasting and credit goes to him. Paul writes this to the Christians in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 1. Paul reminds them, saying, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I find great comfort that the work and purpose of God goes forth, not because he has seen in you or me a totally qualified, suitable instrument, but because that plan and power comes from within the heart of God Almighty. He has desired to love the unlovable, to save the lost, to equip the weak, to make sinners holy so that his name would be great and his renown would cover the face of the earth. Well, you may ask, what if he hasn't chosen me? What if I'm one of those with a weak, sin-sick heart that he hasn't seen and he has not purpose to set his love on? I would say to you, come to him. Come to him pleading his promises. Come to him remembering King David's words in Psalm 51 that a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Come to him pleading the words of Jesus Christ who saw the sinner in the temple on his knees beating his chest confessing, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said of him, that man is justified. That man is declared righteous. That man is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you will humble yourself, plead his promises, confess your need, then brothers and sisters, you may know that the Lord has already begun his work within you. Our brother Joseph Hart wasn't being disingenuous when he wrote the words in this hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. 
Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous. Not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Let's pray. Father God, we remember that our strength and our growth, our maturity as believers comes from looking to the Lord Jesus. We are transformed bit by bit more into his likeness. And so, Lord, may we see him this morning. May we see our God who sees all, who is never surprised, who's able to see the beginning from the end, from ancient times to things not yet done. Lord, we confess that we, we, are, we are weak and shallow and can only see those things right in front of us. But Lord, would, we, uh, would our trust in you be grown? Lord, uh, would we remember those, these promises that you made to David, the promise of a people, the promise of a place, a home, the promise of a powerful king who will reign forever and ever. And could we with David say because of your promise and according to your own heart, you brought about all this greatness. Lord, take our eyes off ourselves, And Lord, may we come to you as weak, wounded, sore, bruised Christians. Remembering that all the fitness you require is for us to feel our need of you. Would you give this to us more? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.